0: Element, it's so good to be here. It is, it is good, as, as Trevor mentioned. I, I had the great privilege and honor of of leading Element uh, as a worship pastor for two and a half years and some of my greatest joys of my life, my family's life, uh, leading worship for this body. And it's so good walking back through the doors and seeing new faces, seeing old faces, and seeing that God is still doing something awesome through Element Church right here in the Murphy Creek area. And so uh, <clears throat> something that... that uh, Adam called me up a couple weeks ago and said, Hey, man, I, I need somebody to cover for me. He said something about spring break. And I'm like, Man, I don't, I don't, doesn't matter what you're doing. I'll be there. I'm there. And I said, What do you want me to teach on? He said, Hey, we're going through a series right now in the book of Judges. And I said, Never mind. I'm out of here. Right? Man, what a challenge and what a blessing that you guys have a pastor that is willing to preach the whole of God's counsel, the whole of God's word. And so uh, this morning, we're actually going to take a little shift. And we're gonna be in uh, Second Peter if you got your Bibles and you want to start flipping there. But we're gonna be in Second Peter. But something you need to know about me is <clears throat> I've had the the blessing and the joy of being a Broncos fan my entire life, and maybe like less of a joy over the last few years. But if, if any of you guys are football fans at all, there was a huge splash that the Broncos made this year. They made a huge trade for a new quarterback that hopefully will set us up for a couple of years. But, man, I grew up watching John Elway play. And that man, he, he played. He won games. He's just a talented quarterback. He won games based off of just pure skill and sheer determination to win games. And then a couple of years later, we brought the sheriff to town, right? Peyton Manning came to town and, and Peyton Manning had a totally different way of winning games. He won simply by outsmarting his opponent. He knew what his opponent was gonna do in every element, every aspect of the football game. And he always put his his intellect above physical skill. But <clears throat> I kind of think that that Peyton Manning would come into a huddle like this. All right, fellas, hey, hey, we're down by four. We need this score. We got two minutes left on the clock. So we're going to go, let's go 200 jet, double tight right. X, rip, zip, go, and we're gonna do that on one on one. And hey, hey, check alert, alert now, alert. We're gonna go, uh, we're gonna go counter slam right uh, on one on one. Ready, break. And so they break the huddle, and he grabs his Z receiver and he says, "Hey, man, I need you to run this route at five yards. In practice, you've been running at six, but we need to run five because he knows that if he run, his Z receiver runs his route at five yards, his Y receiver will run this little curl route, and this will open up his Z receiver to catch the ball for a first down." Or maybe even the go-ahead score, right? We all know this about Peyton Manning. So he comes to the line of scrimmage. The team gets set. Peyton Manning starts surveying everything. Say fifty-three is the mic. He starts yelling out all this stuff. Comes up under center. And he's like, "All right, blue, set." They don't snap the ball. He looks to see if the linebackers are rolling down, the safeties are moving, seeing seeing what's going on. He starts yelling out all sorts of crazy things, trying to throw off the defense. He starts yelling out, Sally, Sally, Chopper. He starts yelling at his receivers, Chopper, 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 Buffalo, Buffalo, just trying to throw off the defense. Then he finally comes back to the line of scrimmage and he yells out, you ready for this, the famous words, hurry, hurry, Omaha set. He snapped the ball, he drops back, he throws his pass, and uh, the rest is history, right? But... The thing about peyton manning that always cracked me up was this phrase hurry hurry right he spent so much time pre-snap talking about the play letting his his teammates know what the play is letting them know what's going on what's happening with the defense surveying what's going on that by the time the play clock got down to like two or three seconds left it was hurry hurry it was go time it was now the time was now everybody knew the play now let's run and execute the play. This idea of hurry, hurry is exactly what I think the Apostle Peter is talking about in his second letter. This this idea of hurriedly hurry and Peter calls this word diligence. He uses this word repeatedly in in Second Peter. This idea of hurriedly hurry, hurry, hurry. We know what needs to happen. We need to put all of our effort into putting all of our effort into into accomplishing the play, right? And so in fact, Peter bookends his second letter with this idea of being diligent. And in Peter chapter four, he closes out with this idea of being diligent and being found spotless and blameless. Or in verse 18 of of chapter four, he says to be diligent, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To hurriedly hurry, to hurry, hurry at growing in our knowledge of Christ. But church, what does this look like in our lives? What does it mean to apply all diligence in growing in our knowledge of Christ? And if you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do. Let's flip open to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to dive in and we're going to see how Peter is challenging believers just like you and I. He's challenging you and I to be diligent in our spiritual growth, to be diligent to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're gonna see this morning that God has set you up to grow spiritually that God has set you up to grow spiritually. And before we jump into 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to remind us what Isaiah verse chapter 40 verse 1 tells us. It says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand. Forever. And second Timothy verses uh, chapter thirteen verses sixteen tells us that all scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and is profitable to you and I for preaching, for teaching, for correction, and for reproof, so that you and I might be prepared and equipped and lacking in nothing. So let us take from God's word this morning, not the words of, of, a, of a guest speaker, not the words of, of a pastor that's up here, but let's take God's word and apply it to our lives that we would be equipped and lacking in nothing. Let's take a look together. Second Peter, uh, chapter one, starting in verse one. It tells us this Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and excellencies, Church, the first things that we need to see right off the bat, Peter is starting his letter and reminding us that God has called you into faith. God has given you the ability to have faith. It's received by his sovereign choice. It is received by his sovereignty, his, his power over all things that God has given you the ability to have faith. And it is given by His righteousness. It is His righteousness that gives you the ability to have faith. So here's the first question that I have for you this morning, church. Do you think God would give you, through His sovereignty, He would give you the ability to have faith and then not set you up to succeed in growing spiritually? I don't think so. I think God has given you the ability to have faith so that he can set you up to grow spiritually. So we have received this faith. We got this faith through God's sovereignty. Now, Peter shows us what we receive in our faith. Take a look at verses two and three again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord Check it out, this idea of grace and peace are given to you and I at the point of salvation, knowledge of God in Jesus. Grace and peace are our reward or wages of gaining a saving knowledge of God the Father and Christ the Son. Knowledge here isn't speaking of head knowledge, it's speaking of an intimate, a personal relationship With Jesus. And in fact, Peter is writing to a group of believers. And so we can take from this statement that really the rest of his entire letter is predicated on this initial knowledge or this initial salvation. If you want to reap the benefits, reap the wards of God's grace and peace to you, it starts with this saving relationship in Jesus. In other words, without a saving relationship through Christ, one would miss out on the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning in chapter one and the rest of Peter's letter in 2 Peter. So salvation or this knowledge in Christ leads to us receiving and experiencing God's grace and God's peace. What a blessing that is. God's grace to us in the form of Christ, dying in our place, leads to peace with God because God's wrath has been satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Praise God, the theology church, the theology in the first two verses of Second Peter is so rich and so deep, but Peter is just beginning to call the play. Check out verse three together. It says this, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Church, we need to see that knowledge or salvation is given by God's divine power. This is the second time Peter is bringing attention that God has given us the ability to have faith But most importantly here is that we see that God has provided you and I everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Praise God. He's given you the ability to have faith. He's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. And he has given you the ability to grow in your faith Not to stay stagnant, not to stay in the same exact spot you were five days ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, but to grow in your faith in Christ. Church, God has set you up to grow spiritually. Peter goes on in in verse four. Let's take a look together. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lusts. It is by God's glory and by his excellencies that he has blessed us with great and precious promises. And I don't know about you church, but when I read a a promise in the Bible, when I hear about a promise of God's, when I read about it in the Bible, I think to myself, man, if God is promising, It must come with authority. It must carry a lot of weight and it's gotta be good. If God is promising to you something, it must be good. And God has given us precious and amazing, great promises. And, And the very first promise that we see here unpacked in verse four is this, that we become partakers and to participate and share in God's nature. We become participants and God's divine nature. Now church, I want to be very clear with us. This does not make you and I gods. This does not make you and I little g gods. This does not mean that we are on an even playing ground with God. God is still sovereign and holy and merciful and gracious. But we are to participate in and with God's divine nature nature. You see, what happens when you have a saving knowledge in Christ is that Christ's righteousness is put on to you. It covers you. It takes your sin away. the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that you are a new creation, right? You've escaped the sinfulness of your flesh and the sinfulness of the world and have put on the righteousness of Christ. You are a participant in the divine nature of God. See church, we share in his victory in this life. We share in his victory over sin in this life. And we share in his victory over death and eternal life. I'm going to say that one more time. We share in his victory over sin in this life. And we share in his victory in over death in eternal life. What a great promise of God that we see right here in 2nd Peter. Praise God that he has called us into this knowledge, this saving faith through Christ, into a relationship with him. But God has not just called us into a relationship with him. He has called us to grow in this relationship with him. And God has set you and I up to grow spiritually. And Peter is about to unpack exactly what we need to be doing to grow in this relationship. Take a look at verses five through seven. Peter tells us this. Now for this very reason, again, we're to be diligent to make every effort to hurry, hurry. For this very reason, apply all diligence because of God's peace, because of His grace to us, because of His great and awesome promises, because of God's excellency, we are to hurry, hurry to bring this to the table. Apply all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, uh, where'd it go? And in your knowledge, self control. And in your self control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Because God has given salvation. He's given us these awesome promises. We are to hurry, hurry, to be all diligent, to bring all diligence to the table, to make every effort, to hurriedly hurry. The time is now. You see, we are not adding to our faith. We're not supplementing our faith. In fact, these characteristics don't earn your salvation or even add to your salvation. They're simply to be an outpouring of gratitude to God because of your salvation. We're showing our commitment to our salvation by growing in these characteristics. In other words, friends, faith in salvation exists without growing these characteristics, but your faith is matured and proven by growing in these characteristics. Growing in these areas make us more like Christ. They allow us to participate more deeply in this divine nature that God has promised to us. You see, church, God has set you up to grow spiritually. So let's take a quick look at these seven characteristics, which they each uh, build on each other and they each escalate in their importance. And so let's take a look at them. We'll go quick through these. First one that we see is moral excellence or virtue, your Bible might say. This this is the idea of simply being honorable, being a person of your word. Right, say what you mean and do what you say. Be, be have moral excellence. Be a virtuous person. Right. The second one that he brings up is knowledge, and this we've already talked about knowledge kind of a, a little bit earlier. We talked about this saving knowledge, but. This knowledge is a little bit different. This is a knowledge of understanding who God is, growing in your actual head knowledge of who God is, understanding his His statutes, his commandments, his covenants, understanding who he is and who he has called you to be in light of who he is, right? This is simply a spiritual knowledge, knowing God, spending time in his word and in prayer to learn more about who God is, knowledge. The third one that Peter lists out here is self-control. And we all love this one, right? We all want to be self-controlled people, right? This is simply to walk the walk, right? You know who God is. You know who God has called you to be. Now walk accordingly. Live self-controlled life, right? You know the play, now execute the play. And this is talking about a transformed life, being pulled out of your old sinfulness that you've become a new creation through Christ, that you're no longer living for sin, but you're living to participate in that divine nature of God. The fourth one that Peter points out to you and I is perseverance, perseverance, right? Continue growing, You're gaining knowledge of who God is. You're you're living a a life of self-controlled, self-controlled life, a transformed life through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now continue to grow. And we all love this one. It happens to every single one of us. We we start a new reading Bible plan. We uh, we start praying regularly. We start going to a small group. We start making a commitment to attending church and participating in church life. Right. And, And it's the first week, second week of March. And how many of you had a New Year's resolution to start reading the Bible? But how many of us have fallen flat on our face because something in life has popped up? It's interrupted this, this, this uh, commitment to growing in Christ, interrupted our reading plan, interrupted our ability to go to a small group to grow with other believers, right? Peter is challenging you and I to stay committed to growing, to continue uh, the commitment to persevere, to be committed to growing in the face of difficulties and challenges of life, to continue to be steadfast and persevere in your spiritual growth. Fifth, he he mentions this idea of godliness. Again, to be very clear, we are not God. God is God. Only God is God. But he's calling us into this lifestyle of godliness, right? This is taking our moral excellence to a new level. It's simply participating in the divine nature so intentionally, so purposefully that our lives reflect the very nature of God. It's living out these first four characteristics surrendered to the Holy Spirit, allowing God to move through and flow through you to live out this lifestyle of godliness. Now, Peter makes a shift here. We saw the first five characteristics that he listed are are typically personal virtues, personal attitudes, personal things that you apply to your life as it relates to you, yourself, and you, okay? The next two attributes that he starts listing out are how we live out these characteristics amongst other people, how we live them out outwardly, how we deal with and interact with others, how we live out this divine nature with others. And, and the first one that he lists, or so the sixth characteristic total, is brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness. And this is simply taking care of others' needs. Man, what an awesome blessing. I think you guys mentioned, or I think Keeley's gonna mention that you guys did a Ukraine giving, a Ukraine offering, and and she, they listed out a number that was earlier. Th- uh, earlier this morning, what a blessing the Element Church is being to a community that is in desperate need right now. That's brotherly kindness. That's brotherly kindness. Serving others, right? That that our salvation should be an overflow of what God has done in our life. It should be an overflow into taking care of others' needs. Because God has taken care of you and I, we likewise should take care of others. That's brotherly kindness. And then he closes out these seven virtues, these seven characteristics with the simple four-letter word, love. Simple, right? Real simple love. This, this idea of loving others. But this goes beyond brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is simply serving a need. Love is putting others uh, before yourself, saying that, hey, you are more valuable than I am. Your needs rank higher than my needs do, right? This is simply desiring the highest good for others. To value the highest good for others, despite even uh, maybe personal differences in your life, you value their needs, you value their desires higher than your own. And this is to mirror the love that Christ has for sinners, that we are to desire the best for that person in the face of differences, that we would be putting others first in all things. And every time I think of putting others first in all things, I always flip to Philippians chapter two, and it's not going to be on your screen, but I'm going to read it for you. It says this, Philippians chapter two, verses three through five. And you can even read the rest of Philippians two on your own time and see Christ's beautiful example of this. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, it's one of our favorite words, isn't it? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Paul in that letter begins to unpack this beautiful picture, this beautiful image of showing us how Christ is our example in loving others, by sacrificing himself for others, for you and I dying on a cross, Jesus sets the example for what our love should look like. But as we, we mentioned before, that each of these characteristics they build on each other, and without intentionally growing in those first characteristics, we won't see growth in the later characteristics. We must grow in this kind of order. we must start out in this order we we must grow in our moral excellence and knowledge and in self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. That God has set you and I to grow spiritually. Now here's the question. What are you going to do about it? If God has set you up to grow spiritually, he has purposed you to grow spiritually spiritually. What are you going to do about it? Because what Peter says next can be an incredible turning point in your spiritual walk with Christ. Check this out in verses eight through nine. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Church, this is what I like to call a gut punch. Simply put, Peter is saying that every believer has these characteristics. If you've put your trust and faith in Christ to save you from your sins, every believer has these characteristics. Remember, verse three, we can look back at verse three. It says that seeing that his divine power has granted to us Everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has set you up. But the question is, are you intentionally growing in these areas of your spiritual walk? Are you growing in these areas of your spiritual walk? Are you putting them, uh, are you putting them to use in God's kingdom? Are you serving God's kingdom with these, these characteristics, these virtues that he has given you? If you're growing in these areas of your life, God's word... Peter is reminding us through God's word that you are being spiritually fruitful. You're being useful in God's kingdom. You're doing exactly what God has called you out of a life of sin and into a life of salvation, grace, and peace through Christ. You're doing exactly what he's called you to. But again, can I remind us that if that is true, if you're being obedient and growing in these areas of your life, we're growing spiritually, we're growing in these virtues and we're being fruitful. If that's true, then can I challenge us that God's word is reminding us that the opposite is also true. If you are not growing in these areas of your life, then you've missed the point of God saving you out of sin for. We've missed the point. God says that you are not bearing fruit You're you're not being useful in his kingdom. We've forgotten the sin that God has called us out of and the grace and peace that God has called us into. God doesn't want you to remain a spiritual infant. He wants you to be growing in your spiritual walk. He, He wants you to be a growing and effective spiritual leader in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, even right here in your church. God doesn't want you to remain a spiritual infant. He wants you growing and maturing in your spiritual walk. God has set you up to grow spiritually. Now, church, what are you going to do about it? Peter wraps up his thoughts here in verses 10 through 11. He says, Therefore, brethren, again, if you're growing, you're fruitful. If you're not growing, you're unfruitful. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Church, Peter does two things He reminds us of two beautiful promises of God. He says, If you make certain about this, be diligent, make certain about his calling. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Promise number one. And for this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our God, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Promise number two. But he tells us to check yourself. It is time for some self evaluation. It's time to watch some film on yourself. How are things going? What's going on in your life? What areas are you growing in and what areas are you not growing in? But more importantly, he says, hurry, hurry. Be diligent, hurriedly hurry. The time is now to reflect on your salvation. Are you growing in these areas? Have you believed in Jesus for salvation of your sins? Not, not are you believing in your works to get you to heaven. Not are you believing in your parents' or your spouse's faith to get you in heaven. But have you put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ to pay for your sin? Friends, if the answer is no to that question, I would challenge you and I would ask you, would you consider even this morning putting your faith and trust in Christ? The Bible reminds us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. But friends, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, if if you would answer, yes, I have believed in Jesus for payment of my sin, then you need to diligently, hurry, hurry, hurriedly, hurry, hurry, To reflect on your spiritual growth. Are you growing in these areas of your spiritual life? Has your life been transformed by the gospel of Jesus? Are you practicing these characteristics of a believer? Are you growing in these areas of your life? Because God makes a beautiful promise that you will be useful in his kingdom Church, transformed lives lead to lives transformed. In fact, I believe that at Element Church, your main goal is that you exist to see whole lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus. So again, I say transformed lives lead to lives transformed. Has your life been transformed by the gospel of Christ? Have you grown in these areas? Are you growing in these areas? Can can you imagine, church, could you even imagine what could happen in your life, in the lives of others around you if you simply committed to growing spiritually? Man, relationships could be changed. Relationships could be healed and brought back together. Marriages could be healed and transformed. Marriages could be strengthened, right? A a parent and a child relationship could grow into an awesome, flourishing, spiritual leadership relationship. Friends and neighbors and coworkers could come into saving knowledge of Jesus. Church, are you ready to commit to growing spiritually because God has set you up to grow spiritually. God has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, what are you going to do about it? Father, I pray this morning, God, that we would be challenged by your word, your perfect, your holy, your God-breathed word God, that you would challenge us to grow spiritually, to not be content with the status quo. God, that we would be willing to put in the work because hard work pays off. God, it's not that our work earns us our salvation. it simply proves that we are saved, God, that when we uh, submit to your authority in our life, God, I pray, Lord, that we would lean into these seven characteristics, that we would grow as men and women in Christ, that we would grow spiritually. God, that this morning as we walk out these doors, we would be changed, that we would be challenged to grow in greater depths with you. And Father, to the person who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray this morning Lord, that you would challenge them this morning through your word, that Holy Spirit, you would move and work in their heart. God, that they would come to a place of saving knowledge in Jesus. God, we pray this in the strong saving name of Jesus. Amen.